Our message today, I entitled it, uh, The Lord is Near. Don't worry about anything. The Lord is near. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I, I need you now. I call upon your name that you be our God. Uh, rule the conversations uh, that are about to begin right here. I pray that may the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, we're going to push to verse 7. Uh, it's a marathon because we must fill a church today. We're going to have to, to learn something here. The Bible reads this way, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say again, rejoice. Uh, let everyone see that you are considerate uh, in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon, so don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. May the people of God say, amen, amen. I want to talk today with the Holy Spirit's guidance, uh, with your prayers on the subject, the Lord is near, don't lose your joy. The Lord is near, the Lord is near, don't lose your joy. There's a distinct difference, there is a distinct difference between a thermostat and a thermometer. A thermostat is an isolated instrument uh, with an element inside called mercury. That mercury is susceptible to whatever environment you place the thermometer in. If you place the thermometer in a cold environment, the thermometer will read a cold temperature. If you place the thermometer in a heated environment, the thermometer will read a hot temperature. Because it is an isolated instrument, it is susceptible to whatever environment you place it in. In other hand, a thermostat is a little bit different. A thermostat is a little bit different. A thermostat is a small device that looks like it can't do much. But what you can't see is behind the wall that thermostat is on, it is connected to wires and transistors that make its power actually bigger than its size. The thermostat does not wait, it does not wait for the environment to tell it what to do. Instead, the thermostat decides what the temperature is going to be. And then makes a demand on the environment that the environment adjust to it and not it adjust to the environment. What the kingdom needs is more thermostats and less thermometers. Persons who begin 
to their role as environment changers and kingdom representatives. But if you are going uh, to be a Christian thermostat, when you walk into a room demanding that it change, not allowing people with nasty attitude and, 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 and sour faces detecting your day, but rather you walk in and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. If you are going to be a thermostat and not at the moment, a joy is an absolute essential. That must be active in your life. Can I tell you, for the Christian, joy is absolutely major because it is joy in Christ that enables us to walk triumphantly with Christ. Nehemiah says, uh, says it this way as he's speaking to those uh, who are building the wall. He says, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. You see, any effort to follow God without joy is doomed to fail, especially when things get crazy. Especially when you begin to walk into a season of chaos, calamity, crisis, and confusion. Joy is what allows us to keep going and endure whatever it is we find ourselves running into. You see this active in the lives of several people. Mothers can testify that when you were pregnant, you were inconvenienced. You were uncomfortable, couldn't sleep good at night, body temperature acting crazy. Some days it was hot, some days it was cold. Feet got to swelling, things begin to happen. But when you gave birth, the joy of giving birth and seeing another life come into the world kind of made up of all of the discomfort and the inconvenience. If you've been married uh, any length of time, you'll testify, uh, you'll testify that when you, get f when you first got married, things were cool because you married a representative. But after you moved in with them, you discovered that the representative and the real person are not always same people. And so what happened is, as you go through the chaos and the craziness of being married and learning one another, you begin to discover we don't do things just the like. He likes the clothes on the floor, I like the clothes in the hamper. He likes the toilet seat up. I like the toilet seat down. But what happened, what happened is you push through the craziness and you push through it because you love each other. And after that, you begin to walk into the joy of knowing that I am connected and married to somebody that when the chips are down, I know they're going to ride with me. When things get crazy, I know we have each other's back. You go through the difficult times for the joy that awaits at the end. Can I tell you, the same is true with the believer, yet the only way, get this, get this, the only way to receive the joy of the Lord is to obey the Lord. The hymn writer says, trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust 
and obey. If you are going to walk in the joy of the Lord, you got to learn to obey the Lord. That's why Richard J. Foster in his book, A Celebration of Discipline, uh, you got to practice joy. He say, you got to make up your mind that joy will become your disposition. Because our joy comes from knowing we follow Jesus and he's going to take care of us. He's going to take care of us. See, we, see, 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 without that assurance, I can't have real joy. Without the assurance that God is with me and, and, and God is going to handle what I cannot handle, I do not walk in perpetual position uh, and posture of joy, uh, trying to have joy without that assurance makes my attempts at joy painfully artificial. I begin to wear a look of happiness, but I really don't have any. I begin to put on images that resemble something I'm trying to present, but I really don't live from an authentic and real place. But when I got joy, it doesn't matter what season I find myself in. When I got joy, you can have, uh, you can have a bad day if you want to. I I'm going to let you do it by yourself. When I got joy, the house can be crazy, but I'm going to sleep. I'm going to sleep good tonight. When I got joy, you become a thermostat and not a thermometer. Paul, Paul, Paul communicates this in his letter to the church at Philippi, here in chapter 4. And he, he, he sees it in them. He, he wants to encourage them uh, to maintain their joy, to understand that the church at Philippi was not as rich and as prosperous as some of the other churches. The church at Philippi was, in fact, struggling with resources and a shortage of materials and things necessary to survive and to sustain on top of the persecution that was rampant. As a result of them being connected to Christ in a culture that was contradictory. But when he writes, Paul writes to the Philippi, he does not scold them for becoming a victim to their environment. Instead, he encourages them and say, listen, you all, y'all were the ones who pulled your resources together and sent gifts uh, to the church at Jerusalem when they were struggling. It takes people with joy to be able to give freely. You say, listen, 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 I want to encourage you that the way you have remained faithful to God even under oppressive circumstances, I want to encourage you to keep doing that. And the reason you are able to do that is because you have, you have joy. Listen to what he says. He says, he encourages uh, this church at Philippi. I believe it will speak to us. When you got joy, you need to hold on to it. Because, number one, it enables us to properly respect our relationship. When I got joy, I can properly respect my relationship. In other words, joy enables me to love people. You, you do know that your interactions with people will reveal your inward posture. Uh, I'm in the book, verse 5. He says, let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. In other words, 
for considering. There is gentleness. Make sure that your gentleness and your compassion and your willingness to connect with others is seen in how you respond to them. You do know that God is always concerned with how we treat one another. Okay, don't take my word for it. Jesus said the greatest commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And the second is like unto the first, that you love your neighbor as yourself. John picks it up late and says, how can you love God you have not seen, yet you do not love your brothers and sisters that you, you see every single day? Can I tell you how we respond to others will dictate the level of joy and will indicate the level of joy that is present in our lives. Why? Because when we treat people and run into people, it is not an indication of them. It is more of a revelation of us because what's in you will come out of you when you run into, into the right people, especially if you run into difficult people. You know, difficult people, the people who naturally have the combination to your crazy. They know exactly uh, what button to push to get you to a certain level. Paul says, Paul says, when you got joy, you know how to deal with them because uh, here is the thing. Sometimes you run into sandpaper people. I call them sandpaper people because they are rough. They are coarse. They are colors and rough around the edges. But here's the, here's the thing. Often God sends sandpaper people away, uh, not because of them, but because of us. Maybe they've been set to rub against us because we got some sharp edges. We got some edges that need to be smoothed out. We got some places within us in our personality that needs to be dealt with. And God sends them to smooth us. But joy is what enables, uh, enables us to go through this process without losing it and catching a charge. Here's the reality. Joyless, angry people can't be gentle. They lack the capacity. They lack the power. They can't do it. Joyless, angry people can't be glad. Because I don't care what you do, they are never happy. I don't care how you get it done. I don't care how you accomplish it. If you don't have joy, you can't be satisfied. Nothing will satisfy them because the issue is inward. So Paul says you got to have joy because uh, 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 it, 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 it's what enables you to love people. Then he says, you got to do it and engage with others with the end in mind. Verse 5, he says, for the Lord is near. It is a reference. It is a reference to the eschaton when Jesus Christ will retain and receive those to himself. In other words, I got to give him an account for what I do and say in this mortal body. If my joylessness leads to the injury of somebody else, if my joylessness leads me to wound and hurt somebody else, Paul says, I got to respond and give an account to that. 
Joylessness leads to injury, and injury will lead to judgment. I got to answer for everything that I do. So if I'm dealing with difficult environments, I need God to put joy inside of me so that I don't become a victim of the environment in which I have to exist. I'm helping somebody uh, because tomorrow uh, you're already looking towards heading back into that environment. You already know uh, that when you live here, you, you got to run into such and such. Uh, you won't give them a name. Uh, you got an, a, a special name for them, uh, but you won't say that. But you know that joy is what's going to give you the power uh, to maintain your sanity and still be able to form community. Paul says you got to have joy because joy helps you properly respect relationships. Paul also says, joy helps me to prayerfully respond to resistance. Joy helps me to love people. And then joy helps me live with problems. Paul says here, when you have joy, you get, you get gifted the ability to see the weakness but refuse the weight. I'm in verse 6. He says, don't worry about anything. Back in the days, I was, worried, I was so much worried. Uh, it, I was in high school, and it was my last year in high school, I remember, and my mother was very sick. I was worried I could fail my tests. Uh, those were my final tests, but at the same time, I had a mother who was in hospital. She had uterus cancer, and uh, that very week, she'd been driven like 400 uh, uh, kilometers, I, I don't know how to calculate that back into the miles, but I think it's half of it. And, and, and she came back and her feet were, were so swollen and uh, she, she wasn't feeling great. And I'm so worried, uh, probably I was, the, uh, uh, I was home and everybody else was uh, at the boarding schools. And I remember I had to uh, walk to the hospital uh, by myself, like 10 kilometers to the hospital. Not that because I didn't have no money, I never asked my father. Uh, I, 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 I couldn't read. I, I was just feeling like I'm worried about it. Uh, uh, it. It was true to me that at this point I may lose my mother. Walked to the hospital, got in there, uh, go through the security, boom, the, the gate, get inside. Uh, going to the waiting room, told them I'm here to see Edna Gbature, my mother. And uh, the nurse says, okay, we're going to go uh, and tell them to prepare uh, her so that you, 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 you go and see your mother. And one hour later, I'm sure the waiting room, nobody is able to take me there. Uh, and uh, an elderly nurse, nurse was around in there in the waiting room, and uh, apparently she was just reading my face. And I noticed that she, she's, she's really concerned. And I went to her and said, I've been here an hour, and you know, I'm here to see my mother. She told me, I'm so sorry, your mother, she's not feeling good today. Your mother is really struggling for her life today. But if you're patient enough, you can stay here. Uh, we'll keep on checking. If she feel any better, we'll take you there. And I, say, I said to her, is there anything I can do for my mother? And she says, you can only pray. 
for your mother. If you can't pray, if you know anybody who knows how to pray, uh, they need to begin to pray. And I said, okay. I went back and I sat, and I'm just thinking, and I'm asking the Lord some questions. I said, Lord, is it too much to ask to see my mother? After all, I've walked. My father is an elder in the church. He opens the church and he closes it. Is this how you treat your best? Is, is this really how you do this? And I was really angry with the Lord. And I said, Lord, is it too much to ask? I already walked. I'm already here. And they can let me go see my mother. And uh, three hours later, I didn't see my mother. And the, the, this very elderly nurse, she was so sweet, this elderly nurse, she came and she says to me, son, you won't be able to see mom. It's getting dark. If you say you walk, you can begin to walk back home. And I walked back home all the way. They told me they, uh, they were not going to allow me there. This is a culture that protects the young ones from trauma. They already knew I was probably 16, and they already knew it, uh, it, it was going to rob me very rough. And they said no. And I began to walk. I didn't have any money in my pocket because I never asked my father. And now this has been almost like four months I haven't seen my mother. And the day I was told she arrived, she's at the hospital, I made the visit but then they, I couldn't see her because they say uh, she was coming for a procedure. It went well, but however, however she, was, she, she swelled the whole body. And uh, I couldn't see her. The very same night, uh, actually in the AM hours, so I went to sleep AM hours, the policeman came knocking at my door. And my father answered the door, and they pronounced my mother had passed. And I heard my father saying, how long did this took? He said, an hour ago. And he said, okay. And I'm listening. But then, in the morning, so I'm, I'm just listening, but then in the morning I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And I know my mother died on a Thursday. And there was Friday. And then Saturday. And I picked this scripture here. I don't like this scripture. I don't know why I'm preaching about it. But this is the scripture that I picked. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. You, you, you do know worry. Worry is a weight. Worry is carrying on your shoulders something that's out of your hands. Worry is paying rent on a house you don't even live in. It is allowing your imagination to become your prison. Worry puts you, puts us in a place and a posture where we cannot focus on what it is because we are so consumed of what might be. Worry will kill you. It will take you out of here. Worry will end your life and end your productivity. Long before it's supposed to happen. So Paul says, don't worry. Don't worry. But instead, you need joy. One of the fine days, I was walking in Harare, back home in Zimbabwe. It was a Friday, and um, I'm a young man, and I'm just feeling myself. I, you know, life was so good back in the day. 
So there were uh, street, uh, you know, the people who sell on the streets. Back home, we call it what? What do you call it? Black market or flea market? Whatever it is. So uh, what happened is people, they parked their vans, their cars on the street, right? And they are peddling a lot of stuff. And then a guy saw me and he ran to me and said, brother, brother, today is your night. It, today is just your night. I say, what's going on, sir? And he said, I got these shirts. Shirts? Yes. And they are your size. What size is that? What size do you think? Man, this is your size. And I said, and he said, this is it. And I looked at the shirts, and they were all wrapped up very nice. Very nice Van Heusen shirts. Anybody knows Van Heusen shirts here? Anybody? Van Heusen shirts. They were the shirts back in the days. And he says, tonight is your night. I, I said, how, how so? He said, because I'm going to give you a deal. You see these shirts? I sold them for 60, 50 or $60 a piece. But tonight is your night. And I said, oh, wow. Nothing can go wrong. Tonight is my night. How much are you going to give it to me? And he goes, $10. I said, you, did you say you sell this 50 or $60? He said, yes. And, and, and I said, oh, so you're going to give this to me for 10 I said, yes, sir. Tonight is your night. I say, no, I like, I, I like what you're saying, man. How many do you have? And he said, 10 shirts. I said, give me all 10. So I got all the 10 shirts. And then I'm excited. I called my friend. Hey, man, man, I made a deal. Talk about smart. Man, that was a deal. I got some shirts at the market. They park on the streets, and they are peddling different stuff. And this guy had brand new shirts wrapped and intact. But then I looked at the paper, and the paper says, uh, as is, as is. And so I told my friend, I said, look here, I don't know, you guys, you live over here in Harare, but is, 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 the paper says as is. And he said, no, you'll be fine. Don't worry about that. It, probably these shirts have some bad stitches here and there, but you'll be fine. So I took the shirts home, got home, excited, opened the first one, realized that the shirt had only a front and there was no back. And I, re I read the rap again, the wrapping paper again, and it says, for funeral home. Oh my goodness. So I realized I bought 10 shirts that were going to fit me perfect when I die. And then, uh, the first thing I thought, I'm going to drive back and, and, and have a good fight with this guy. But then, I, I'm, I, I went there. He wasn't there. He was gone. But then I started laughing. I called and my friend said, hey, man, <laughs> it was too good to be true. Okay? Uh, this is what happened. And he's like, just trash them. Just trash. But you know, you need joy. You need joy. Because instead of worrying, joy gives you the choices. Here are the choices. I can choose to worry, 
but worry will hurt myself and not change the issue that I'm facing. Uh, Corey Tan Boom puts it this way. She says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but it does empty today of its strength. Worry will deplete you. It will destroy you. It will keep you up at night fighting ghosts that don't even exist. But when you got joy, you got choices. You can choose to ignore the weakness and refuse the weight. And instead, do something else. Paul says, what does Paul say you do? He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Why do you need to pray? You need to pray because prayer relieves yourself of the pressure. It has the power to change the issue. Now, some will say that prayer is the practice of avoidance, that you are practicing a form of uh, escapism, that you are trying to detach and divorce yourself from the situation because you can't do anything about it. It's partially true. However, you can't do anything about it. But prayer is the activating power that has privileges to go where you can't go. Prayer is the activation of a trust and a belief in God that enables him to respond in ways that you anticipate and look forward to. Don't worry, Paul says, pray. Now, while you are praying, what do you do? He says, see the weakness and refuse the weight. But then share the weakness with God and start worshiping. I'm still in the same verse 6. He says, tell God what you need and then thank him for all he has done. He says, sharing your weakness that's designed for God, it reveals him your joy by showing him that you still trust him. Since God doesn't sleep, since he's going to be up all night, why don't you give him what's keeping you awake? Since you can't change it, since you tried through your own interactions, your own associations, and your own ingenuity, trying to fix things and solve things and put your hands into everything, trying to make sure people do what they're supposed to do, and trying to change people, and trying to fix people. Paul says, listen, give that stuff to God. And let God do what you cannot do. And since your hands are free, because you are no longer carrying the stuff, since your hands are free, because you are no longer carrying anything, since your hands are free, you are no longer trying to fix things, you were never designed to fix. Since your hands are free and vacant for usage, Paul says, since you gave it to God and told him what you need, you might as well go and lift them up as you thank him for all he has done. Sharing your weakness is for God, but starting your worship is for you. Because he, he, here's the deal. While he's fixing what I need, I got a record that he's able. He says, thank him for all he has done. He might not change it today. He might not fix it tomorrow. 
He might not do it when I think he ought to do it. He may not do it on my own timeline, but Jesus has a good credit. His credit is good with me. He comes through before. And if I, if I get discouraged looking at tomorrow, if I get discouraged looking at today, I will got to do, all I got to do is conduct an about face and look at where he brought me from. Look at how he has saved me. Look at how he restored me. Look at how he changed my mind. Look at how he brought me through what I shouldn't have survived. And if I ever need encouragement, I'll just remember what he has done. Paul said, you need joy because it properly respects your relationship. You need joy because it helps you to prayerfully respond to resistance. But third and lastly, you need joy because it helps you uh, to, to, power, to powerful uh, renew your rest. Joy helps you love people. Joy will help you live with problems. Joy leads to peace. Listen to Paul. Paul says, when you got joy, it, it, it can't really be explained. It can only be experienced. You can't really define what it feels like or what it is. But when you got joy, when you got it, you, you know it's real. In 2017, 2017, I buried my last parent, my father. He was 70 years. Have you ever had to bury a loved one? And everybody came to the funeral, staring at you, expecting you to lose it expecting you to fall apart, expecting everything to go to hell in a handbasket. And for some reason, you sat at the funeral staring at the casket of your loved one, and you lift your head and you said, God, it doesn't make sense to me. I can't understand it. I don't know why, but I feel a level of peace because there's something you have downloaded on the inside of me, through your heaven's Wi-Fi, that doesn't make sense. But I got, I, I got my right mind. I, I still bless the Lord at all times. It can't be explained. It can only be experienced. Verse 7, watch, watch, watch uh, what he says. He says, if you do this, if you give that thing to God, if you let him handle what you cannot handle, he says he will, you will experience God's peace which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. The peace that surpasses all understanding, rejoicing, receiving God's peace. Get this, is a spiritual transaction. To receive God's peace, it is a spiritual transaction. You can't buy it. You can't shop long enough to, uh, for it to come. You can't drink enough to get it to settle. You can't swallow enough pills to get peace. That kind of peace only comes from God. It only comes from a connection with him. But like I said, he will download something with you, within you, and you even start looking at yourself and say, last time this happened, I slept somebody. Why am I not swinging now? Last time this happened, I was ready to lay hands. And I wasn't praying. I wasn't praying. But why isn't it happening now? I'll tell you. Because the joy of the Lord has become your strength. 
I wish I had a witness today that I can testify. I've been in some places where I, I, I should have lost it. I've been through some things that I, should, I shouldn't have survived. I've been dealing with some challenges that should have overcome me, but for some reason, I got back into it this time. Me and the Lord had a one-on-one -on -one conversation, and he dropped something on my spirit and on the inside of me that keeps me when I should be falling apart. Can't be explained. It can only be experienced. But then he says, this kind of peace, he says, it's more effective than you could ever even imagine. Verse 7, I'm done. He says, this peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. It is a reference that, that word God, the King James Version, keep your heart and mind, which is in Christ Jesus. It's a reference. It's, it's, a, it's a military reference to a sentry. Uh, Brother Rodney understand this very well. Uh, a sentry that stands at the door and, and guards the entryway from those who don't belong uh, to the sentry. The sentry, whenever you have been assigned to protect something, military folk in the room will tell you you have got general orders. You've, you've got things that you've you got to follow and take care of. A and you do not leave your post until properly relieved. You've got to make sure that the, the only people who get past the gate are those who are authorized to get there. And Paul says, when you got joy, peace becomes your personal security guard. It stands at the gates and the door of your heart and your mind. It's, it, it does uh, anything to come in that doesn't belong. Peace stands at the door for your heart, uh, of your heart and your mind. And depression and despair comes knocking and peace says, hold up. Who goes there? Depression and despair? No. We have got to ravage this person's mind. We have got to make them crazy. But peace says, I don't think you're going to get in here today. Because I've been charged to make sure that those who don't belong stay out. And those that belong come in. When you have joy, you hire peace as your personal security guard. It stands at the door and demands that whoever wants to come in identifies themselves. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Verse 7, read the whole verse. His peace will guard you, your hearts and minds. Hold on, disclaimer. As you live in Christ Jesus, which means protection of God's peace is only available as long as I am in Christ Jesus. Peace doesn't contract for nobody else. Peace only works for God and his children. And if you are not in Christ, you can't have that kind of peace. See, I must finish now. Paul says, what you do, don't lose your joy, because your joy helps you love people. Your joy helps you live with problems. Your joy is going to lead to peace but I got a problem with the text that I've been uh, talking about. I got a problem with it. Because it sounds, it, it, it sounds good. It makes us stand up and shout, yes, Lord, peace. It does. But I like to look at authors. And my question, 
becomes Paul. What do you know about some joy? Paul, I read your resume. When you wrote this letter, your feet were not even dangling and dipping in the, in, in the white sand. You were, not, you, you, were, you were not hanging out, sipping Sprite or some wine. You, 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 you're not enjoying a cool breeze blowing off the Atlantic Ocean. You were in chains, Paul. You were locked up under the Roman oppression. House arrest and let you write about peace? Paul, I read your resume. You've been shipwrecked three times. You've been beaten several times. You've been flawed for your faith. You found yourself in bad situations not because you were doing wrong things. When you were doing wrong things, you had lots of friends. You had a nice, good job in Jerusalem. You were transporting letters back and forth from Jerusalem to Damascus. You had it going, Paul, but the moment you gave your life to Christ, life got crazy for you. The very folk who said they did never leave you, suddenly they betrayed you. The very people who said they did always be there, suddenly they began to leave you alone. What do you know about joy, Paul? You've been shipwrecked. You've been stoned. You've been sick. You've been left for the dead. How in the world couldn't you write about joy? Would you write about joy? And I heard Paul calling from the halls of antiquity say, the reason I can write about joy is not in spite of what I've been through, but because of what I have been through. Because my joy is not predicated on good situations. My joy does not depend on the environment I find myself in. Yes, I've been shipwrecked. I still get joy. Yes, I've been in trouble, but I still got my joy. I find myself badly damaged and badly beaten, but I, got, I still got my joy because my joy is not predicated upon my outside environment. But my joy is an inside joy. Greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. I got to live here, but in there, but is there anybody in the building today that can testify that's the kind of joy that I have? If I lose my job, I still got my joy. Is that so? Yeah, that's, that's the kind of joy. Uh, if, if, I, if, if my family leaves me, my friends forsake me, I still got my joy because Jesus said, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. To God be the glory. Happy Sabbath. Let's bow our heads as you pray. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us from now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.